Good morning, everyone. Great to see you on this icy day. I want you to take a look at the picture of a house in Mumbai, India. Uh, this is 27 stories high, and it's uh, 400,000 feet uh, square feet of living space. It's actually a house. This is somebody's private residence. Okay, and uh, it's owned by the richest man in India, the fourth richest man in the world, and his family lives there, his wife and and two kids, and uh, that's where they hang out. One billion dollars uh, for that house. How would you like to live there? <laughs> kind of an ugly looking thing. But it reminded me of Solomon, because Solomon was somebody who was in to extremes. And last week, we introduced this series, Ecclesiastes, Wisdom for Daily Life, talking about how Solomon was the king of Israel. And God had said, you can have anything. What do you want? And he said, wisdom. And God said, that's a great choice. And because you've made that choice, I'm going to give you wealth and power and possessions. All kinds of delights. So Solomon had all these resources in order to enjoy. But Solomon's heart was guided down the wrong path. He was tempted, and he fell into a life of sin. Well, in the midst of this sin, he decided that he was going to conduct this grand experiment about how one can find satisfaction in this world without God. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? How can we find meaning and satisfaction? So we're going to jump right back in uh, to the story. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 last week was kind of a summary of the book. Now we're stepping into his grand experiment. We read in Ecclesiastes 2.1, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. So he says, I'll test you with pleasure. I'll see if pleasure will give me meaning and sacrifice. Enjoy yourself. Now, uh, our motto and our coinage uh, is in God we trust. It should really be enjoy yourself <laughs> because that's what most Americans live for, right? They live for pleasure. Now, the word vanity here, but behold, this also was vanity. So he kind of gives a summation of what he thought about pleasure after he experienced it. means meaningless. It's the Hebrew word hevel used 38 different times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, life without Jesus is meaningless. That's what he concluded after this grand experiment. In fact, this is our memory verse for this month of January, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's say this together. Matthew 6 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now that's the way we're to approach our life with Jesus Christ, is we're to seek him first. We're to seek the kingdom of God. That is where true meaning and satisfaction is found. And if we start out each day with that focus and we keep it going throughout the day to the power of God, we will find meaning and satisfaction that God intended for us. But the challenge that we have is that we are sinful. We are influenced by this world, Satan's system, and, and therefore many times we as Christ followers will be chasing Jesus. That's what we want to do is we want to chase Jesus. We want to pursue him. We want to seek him. And in the midst of that, we 
without even knowing it, we kind of shift gears and we chase other things. We chase success. Uh, we chase possessions and stuff. Uh, we chase pleasure. Uh, we chase sexual desire. And that becomes what we're chasing after, the primary thing in our life that we feel is going to bring us meaning and satisfaction. And we might be going to church and involved in different things and doing things that Christians do, but really in our minds, we're chasing something different altogether. So I really want you to come before the Lord as we work through this passage and ask yourself, when I'm not chasing Jesus, what am I chasing? Usually we have a default. Maybe one or two areas that we fall into. When I'm not online uh, with, with Christ, when I'm not you know, dialed in with Him, this is where I usually go. I chase this or I chase that. And I want you to think about this today and also as you go throughout the week. And really ask the Holy Spirit to speak deep into your life because that's what's so important about this book. Is As we go throughout this book, I want you to really identify what you chase when you're not chasing Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work deeply within you so that you are more in tune and you pick up more quickly on what you're chasing instead of Jesus so you can get back online. All right. Well, he's going to chase he's going to chase pleasure first. Okay? It says or oh, entertainment say he's going to chase entertainment first. So he's going to enjoy himself. Uh, so we look at uh, verse 2 of chapter 2. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Now that's one of the things he used for his entertainment. Uh, drinking wine irresponsibly, as we can see in this context. He abused wine. He was getting drunk. He was getting a lot of other people drunk, as we'll see here in a moment, because he thought that would bring satisfaction. And some of you have gone down that trail. You know other people who have gone down that trail, or maybe you're in the midst of that right now. You're seeking wine for meaning and satisfaction in life. And you really know it's an escape from what's really going on in your life, but you're seeking after wine, and you're abusing it, and as you know, it's creating a lot of pain in your life, or has created a lot of pain in your life. So if you're struggling with that, if that's what you're chasing after, I would really encourage you again to talk uh, to someone who cares about you, someone here at church, someone who can help you get back on track again, because that is a very challenging uh, situation and addiction uh, to deal with, and it's going to lead to all kinds of pain if you don't do something about it have God fill you with the power to deal with them. So he tried out wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. So again, this idea, I'm in the midst of an experiment. I'm just not having fun for fun's sake. I'm not getting drunk to get drunk for getting drunk's sake. I'm doing this in order to figure out, is this what satisfies? And he goes on, he says, and how to lay hold of folly. So he's thinking, okay, I'm using my wisdom to see how I can sin even in a more significant way, right? To see if sin really delivers. Till I might say what was good for the children of man to do under the sun during the few days of their life. So, he's in entertainment. Now, we can see how much he was in entertainment by looking at 1 Kings 4, 22 and 23. Uh, this was Solomon's one-day provision. This is what he needed to do life in one day. Solomon's provision for one day was 150 bushels of fine flour and 300 bushels of meal, uh, 20, excuse me, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle. <laughs> one day, okay? 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. <laughs> All right. Now, commentators have said that that amount of food, at the minimum, could feed 15,000 people. Solomon 
detested entertainment. He chased after entertainment by having these huge parties every night for like more than 15,000 people that he would invite out uh, to these parties. And that's why he had all these massive amounts of food to feed them. And some people chase food when they're not chasing Jesus. Maybe that's your eye. We chase food. Again, similar type of addiction. We want to satisfy the, the groanings in our heart, the pain that's going on. We want to escape. And that, again, is a whole other issue that we have to deal with. But, again, food is where it was at for Solomon at this particular time. Food and wine. And when, when you start to think about this, you fantasize and say, well, what if I was Solomon? What if I had the resources that he did? I don't know, a party every night. That make me tired. <laughs> Maybe every weekend. you know. And if I had the resources of Solomon, hey, I would share it with all of you. Okay, So we would have a Friday night party, and I would provide everything. I would provide the food. So the first night, maybe we'd uh, go for Morton's Steakhouse. They'd come in, and they would feed us all the items on their menu, uh, especially the steak, uh, unlimited amounts of food. And you could bring your friends, all right? And, and we would just eat and eat and eat until we had to be dragged out, right? And the next week, maybe we'd bring in Shaw's Crab House, and, and they would have the crabs and the lobsters and all kinds of seafood, and every room in this place would be filled with different types of food. And you could eat and eat and eat and eat. Uh, and the next weekend, maybe some Italian Maggianos, I'd bring them in. And I would say, come on, guys. And I, I tell you, the party would grow every week. <laughs> Finally, you get your friends out to Springbrook, right? <laughs> hey, listen, you can come out and you can eat all you want. And maybe the next week would just be every type of pizza can be found in the Chicagoland area. Every room would have a different type of pizza. I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this massive party that he's having. There's all kinds of incredible food. Another thing he talks about, I said of laughter, is mad. So he brought in performers that would make him laugh. As you know, I love to laugh. And I can remember in the 70s growing up on the MASH. I love sitcoms. All the family, Mary Tyler Moore. Well, recently, it's hard to find a good sitcom anymore. Uh, they're dying out. So I, I watch reruns, uh, the physical comedy of Kevin James and uh, King of Queens. I just get a kick out of it. And then uh, the witty repertoire of uh, Frasier. And uh, then, of course, the chemistry uh, between the characters in Seinfeld. And I'll just watch those over and over again. <laughs> I just keep on laughing. Uh, it's a great stress reducer, isn't it? How many watch late night TV? Anybody watch, uh, like, Jay Leno? How many Letterman fans are out there? Okay, I'm a Letterman fan. I love Letterman. He can make any boring interview uh, really funny just because of his skills. In fact, this is a picture of us when we were in New York outside the Late Show uh, Theater. Uh, they weren't uh, having a show that day. But at the same time, I mean, if I had the resources that Solomon had, I'd bring Letterman in uh, for one of these parties. And then I'd keep him around for the week. How could you do that? Well, I, I had all the money in the world. It's a, I, I'd offer him an insane amount of money. And he says, well, sure, Dan, I'll come out. And so he'd come out to the party, and then he would just hang with me all week, you know. And he would just be there. And any time I bored, I said, you know, tell me some jokes, you know. And <laughs> he'd have his writers out there writing just for me jokes. And uh, when I go into the bathroom, instead of re reading Reader's Digest, he could be outside just continually telling me jokes. <laughs> Is that the life for one, right? Having your own personal comedian. Think about your personal comedian. I mean, who is it? You know, like Jim Gaffigan or uh, some of these other guys, you know, the people that you love to listen to and they just make you laugh and laugh. Well, they would be yours. You would own them. And if you have the resources of Solomon, you could keep in employment for all year long. Who knows? 
You see, I mean, it, this is great. He, he was a party animal, though. Now, then it goes on in verse 8. It says, I got singers, both men and women. So uh, you've got uh, professional musicians coming in at these parties. And now, professional music is very accessible uh, to us, right? You know, we have an iPod, and it has thousands and thousands of songs, if you're really in uh, to it. But hey, if you had Solomon's money, you could buy Taylor Swift. Bring Taylor Swift in for your party, and then have her stick around, and have her down the basement all set up to go. And when you feel like a Taylor Swift song, they'll be waiting down there uh, to play for you, or or maybe it's Adele, or maybe Justin Bieber. You know, maybe you have young uh, <laughs> daughters. You know? I mean, oh, they'd love that, right? Justin Bieber at your house all week long? No doubt about that. Or how about that guy who does the Gagnum style, you know, the dance, things like that? Wouldn't you love him around for a week? <laughs> Anytime you wanted to break in the dance, you could do that. And, you know, you could have a big party. And, oh, man, you would... No doubt be the most popular person in the area. You'd be in the news. I mean, this person's bringing in all these personal musicians. I mean, this is the way that Solomon lived. And this was a daily type of thing that was going on uh, with him. And what he was doing was that he was chasing entertainment. And the question that you and I need to ask is, are we chasing entertainment? Uh, it's so subtle that the more you walk with Christ, the more subtle it is. You don't even realize when you're chasing different things, when you're really looking for your, your satisfaction and things other than Christ. So some questions you need to ask yourself, you look up here, chasing entertainment. Uh, first of all, is uh, does it dominate your thoughts as you go throughout the week? Are you thinking about, okay, how am I going to entertain myself this weekend? How am I going to entertain myself uh, tonight? Uh, what's the next uh, electronic gadget I'm going to buy that's going to entertain me, the next TV I'm going to buy, the next song I'm going to uh, download, the next movie I'm going uh, to watch. Does it dominate your conversation? That's a good way to find out what you're chasing after. What do you like to talk about a lot with other people? How about dominating uh, your money? Dominating your money. Uh, again, you're going to spend a lot of money on entertainment. And, and if you're giving more money uh, towards your entertainment uh, desires and you're giving to God, that's a problem, isn't it? Because you're putting entertainment before God. So look at your budget, because again, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That will truly give you a window into what's going on in your life. The way you spend your time and the way you spend your money gives us a clear indication of uh, where you're at and where I'm at in regards to what's truly a priority. In our lives. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. In fact, let's go back to, uh, I believe it's a James. James 1.17. Now, God gave us things to enjoy. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, God is not a big killjoy up there saying you can't enjoy anything. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. That, that's what God's original plan was. Adam and Eve. And all these trees, all this beautiful, tasty fruit, all this vegetation, a garden that would blow our minds if we were in it today. And they had everything that they needed. And they had a relationship with God. And there they were. They were naked. <laughs> Man and woman naked, married. <laughs> God invented pleasure. Anything that you experience that's pleasurable that is not spoken as sinful in the Word of God is a gift to you. So we are not anti-pleasure here. God is not anti-pleasure. The point is, is that when you make pleasure or entertainment your source of meaning and satisfaction, that's when you get off track. And we so subtly can do that. So think that over. Well, let's move on here. Let's talk about how uh, Solomon chased success. We look in Ecclesiastes 2.4. said, I make great works. I build houses and planted vineyards for myself. 
So he, he built houses. And oh man, did he build houses. First of all, he built a house for God. The Temple of Solomon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. It took seven years to construct. Everything was just laden with gold. Go online and take a look at uh, the information about how beautiful this temple was. But he built a house for himself as well. And that took 14 years to build. <laughs> Some estimate over 150,000 people worked on this particular house. Can you imagine what that house was like? Remember, Solomon was always going to the extremes in every area. Now, he had 700 wives. So what did he do? He was a very wise man. He built 700 different houses. Incredible wisdom, right? I mean, first of all, that they'd all be satisfied and they'd keep peace. I mean, imagine them all living together and it wouldn't work. Okay, so he kept them all in their separate houses and that way he could manage uh, them better. And then on top of that, he built vineyards. I mean, he was drinking a lot, and he had 15,000 guests every night. So, uh, yeah, he had to have a lot of vineyards uh, for that. Then in verse 5, I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Now, this was his personal, <laughs> this was his personal work. These were his gardens his parks, and his forests. Now, some of you are very primary gardeners out there. Right? Okay. All right. I got Krishna. I've got Krishna over here. She's our master gardener. Takes care of our grounds here and our landscape and just does a beautiful job. Chris, wouldn't you just love to have the resources that Solomon had? Oh, man, you would go to town. No doubt about it. I would love to see the garden that you would uh, create. But, uh, yeah, just amazing. Just think of Again, uh, creating your own personal park just for you. So, you know, you got all kinds of money, so you just go and buy a thousand acres of farmland out there, and I, I'm going to create a park. Now, I, I, some of you really are into nature and creation, and that's one of the ways you worship, and I'm a little bit like that, but so I, I really I don't need a park, but I, I, I definitely build a park for my wife because she loves to take our dogs, or her dogs, <laughs> I finance it, but she she loves to take our dogs on a run, and she goes to different parks and different places, and it would just be one huge uh, park park, <laughs> I mean, a thousand acres, where she could enjoy all kinds of different types of trails that she could go on, and uh, servants to pick up, uh, you know, what the dogs leave behind. and uh, It would just be her park. <laughs> what kind of park would you build? Maybe you have young children. Hey, build a zoo. If you have Solomon's resources, build a zoo for your kids and your kids alone where they could go out. And better than Brookfield, better than anything in this area. You say, that's crazy. Well, yeah, it is crazy because that's exactly what you... What, uh, what Solomon did, he just went extreme in every area. Uh, he says, I, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So we had all these slaves. Now, we don't have slaves, but it would be nice to have servants, right? And so, again, as I go through this, I start to fantasize, okay, I get up in the morning, and a servant is there just waiting for me to awake. And they pull back uh, covers. I want to work too hard. And, and, and they, they're managing all my clothes. All right? They buy my clothes. I'm not shopping. Uh, they launder my clothes. And for the whole family. And uh, uh, they pick out my clothes. And they've just got it ready to go. All right? So they help me get dressed. And, uh, then I get a massage to start off the day. Why not? And uh, then, then I go to the, the breakfast table. I have my personal chef uh, who makes my favorite breakfast every day, raisin bran. And maybe I'll step it up. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, and I can have somebody chew it if I want. I don't, you know, I mean, you got to get creative here. And, and so, yeah, I do that. And, and really, everything that I don't like to do, 
I would give to my servants. Now, if you live that kind of life, what would you do? <laughs> Send somebody to work for yourself. Well, you wouldn't have to work, right? You had Solomon uh, resources. People just to wait on you day in and day out. That's the way Solomon lived to the extreme. And it goes on to say that he had uh, uh, possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. That was a sign of wealth. Uh, then it also says in uh, Ecclesiastes 2.8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. He pulled in 25 tons of gold per day. 25 tons of gold per day. Then in verse 9 says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me. So he's saying, listen, I'm going through this process, but I'm still testing. I'm still experimenting about how I'm feeling about this. In fact, we get insight uh, from the Queen of Sheba. She came to visit Solomon to test him with questions about his wisdom. And she said that when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the house, right? The food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She was just taken away, shock and awe at the way this guy lived. She had, I mean, she was a monarch herself. She lived a good life, but, I mean, of course, you know, in uh, comparison to Solomon, I mean, she was nothing. She had heard about how Solomon lived, and and what he had built, but after she saw it, it's kind of like, wow. So Solomon was a success in every way. He was famous. He was world-renowned. And the question is, are we chasing success? And you see, one of the problems that we have in every area where we're chasing entertainment or success is that we have limited resources, okay? And so we think about life in our 20s, and we say, well, I hope I can get into a house, and I hope I can get this particular type of job, and I hope I can have this type of lifestyle, and then we give in, get into our 30s, and maybe we've accomplished uh, those goals. So what do we do? We make new goals, right? Because there's new territory out there. There's new things to experience. So we, we ramp it up and say, okay, well, I want a bigger house, and I want a better job, and it goes on and on. And unfortunately, what happens is that some people live their lives that way until they die because they keep buying into the lie that these things will give them meaning and satisfaction because we're always looking at what other people have but we see advertised and we see if I only could experience that then I know I'd be happy you see with Solomon he went all the way he experienced everything. And in the end, with his sound mind, he said, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. And friends, we need to listen to what Solomon has to say. Because again, we continue to be tempted because we have limited resources. And you know, I'm thinking, yeah, I want personal resource, uh, personal servants, uh, people big parties, all the food that I want, financial security, that would make my life a lot better. That would give my life meaning. I'd be, I would be satisfied. No, I would not be satisfied. But I think in my head I'd be satisfied, right? But I wouldn't. And that's, that's the thing we need to pray that God would instill in us. There's a sense of contentment saying, this my life, the way it is right now with all the challenges I have and everything that's going on and where God has put me, this is what God has given me. And instead of chasing after whatever I think I need, I need to chase after Jesus. And in Him I'll find my meaning and my satisfaction. It's such a foreign thing to us. We need to really ask the Holy Spirit to, to go deep into our hearts and uh, purify us in this way. So, question is, are you chasing success? Are you chasing success? Do you want to be somebody? Do you want to accomplish certain things? You're trying to prove to your parents 
that you're worthwhile. You're, you're trying to prove to your peers that you stand out, that you should be respected, or you're trying to amass a, a large amount of money. You're trying to climb a corporate ladder. Uh, you're trying to make a name for yourself in business. You're trying to make a name for yourself uh, in the community. You want to be known as someone who is special in some way, and that is what you're chasing after because you know that once you're in a certain magazine, once you get to a certain position, once you have a, a particular thing that you've accomplished, then you're going to say, people are going to see me as special. People will say, that person is a success. Is that what you're chasing after? And again, you ask the same questions. What do you think most of you think about getting ahead. You think about making things happen. Again, the things I talked about. What dominates your conversation? What do you talk a lot about? More than talking about your relationship with God. Uh, how about your time? What do you give your time to? If you're success-driven, typically, and this is true of all areas, but uh, your life is going to be out of balance because many times people who are success-driven, their families suffer because all they're worried about is their success, and they give the minimum to their families. How about your money? You're gonna, most of your money is going to be going toward uh, your success strategies instead of going toward God. Now, again, I really want you to think about this. I just don't want you to think, okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I really want you, and myself as well, uh, to think about what's the one or two areas that we chase instead of chasing Jesus. Well, another thing that people chase is sexual desire. Ecclesiastes 2.8. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines are the light of the sons of men. Now, <laughs> he had 700 wives, all right? And on top of that, he had 300 girlfriends, I guess you could say. I guess that's the best way could put it, that were there to take care of whatever his needs uh, might be. I mean, is this guy horny or what? Give <laughs> me a break. Uh, I mean, you Hefner looks like a rookie when it comes to Solomon. I mean, he can't shine a light. You know? He's nothing compared to Solomon. I mean, Solomon had it all. And uh, he pursued that. And he enjoyed all kinds of sexual pleasures. And he said that was vanity. That was all meaningless. And uh, I want to speak to the men in the congregation uh, today. Is that uh, some of you men are chasing sexual desire. And, of course, uh, the most common way to do this, uh, sometimes it happens through affairs. And, of course, that's very serious, painful, sinful, all those different type of things. But probably what's more common these days is just pornography. You know what? You can have a virtual harem on the internet. You really can. You can have a virtual harem. You, you can meet a different girl every night in some type of media, video, pictures, or things like that, and have a fantasy with that particular uh, person. And in this size group, I'm sure that they're many men that struggle with pornography and some men that are deep into pornography. Friends, it is a dangerous, dangerous path that you're going down. It's a deadly path. It's going to ruin your sexual relationship uh, with your wife because, as you know, with any type of addiction, you have to continue to increase the nature of it, the intensity of it, to continue to experience the same level of excitement. And therefore, uh, you go to some really dark and again, we're all sinners. We all can fall into these traps. And again, I would implore you, uh, if you struggle with this, tell someone. Tell another Christ follower who you trust. Tell me. Tell a small group leader. Tell somebody. I'm struggling. You've got to help me. Because again, it's going to grab you and it's going to bring you down. And it's just going to get worse. Our culture is just going to continue to go down the toilet in this area. And, and I fear for our 
our sons and our daughters, but especially for our sons in regards to what is going to be out there. And uh, it's so common now, I just can't imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years. So we need to guard our own hearts. We need to guard the hearts of those around us. So again, chasing sexual desire, obviously that's something that dominates your thoughts. You're probably not going to talk about it a lot, right? But it's certainly going to dominate time. And I tell you, reading the other day, the $3,000 I think uh, a minute, or a second, $3,000 a second spent on internet pornography. Uh, it is just a huge business. And, uh, and I would encourage you uh, to repent. Just challenge you to repent. And get the help uh, that you need in that area. So he chased after that. So he, he looks back on this and he kind of sums things up. Uh, in fact, we're not going to cover the whole chapter, but in, in the last half of the chapter, I encourage you to read it. But he talks about, okay, is it better to work, is it better to live as a fool, or is it better to live as a wise person? I mean, he's thinking, he's looking at all the angles. Should I just kind of like live life any way I want to live it, or should I be wise about it? And he says, well, there's not a whole lot of difference, but I guess it's better to live as a fool. Then in verse 15, I said, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? He's talking about death. If you live a wise life or a foolish life, you're still going to die. And I said in my heart, that also is meaningless. It's vanity. Because if there's no life after this life, what difference really does it make? In Ecclesiastes 2.10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Now that, that phrase right there, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in my toil. Nothing, again, if you're thinking anything in this world is going to satisfy and you're chasing after that, you need to meditate on that verse this week. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And I, in the daily office, I'll send out, I'm just going to have you list everything you think that would make you happy, that would satisfy you. Just you know, catalog it and say, this, if I had this, if I had this, and this, and this, and then reflect on that and say, no, that is not true. That's a lie. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And it's interesting. He says he did find pleasure in the moment. He had found pleasure in pleasure, uh, pleasure in all his toil, all his work, all of his stuff he was building. There was a momentary pleasure, but it wasn't a long-lasting pleasure like one finds in a relationship with God. Then verse 11, Then I considered that all my hands had done and the toil that I expanded, expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and therefore there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Nothing to be gained without Jesus. How much do you believe that? I don't believe it enough, I'll tell you that. Because I still fall into chasing success, chasing this, chasing that. And, and if I really believed in my heart, that Jesus was my only true satisfaction. I wouldn't chase those things off. I'm a sinner. I'm still going to sin. But at the same time, I need to believe that more. I God. And this is my prayer as we move throughout this book, is that God would work deeper than our hearts and deal with the one thing that we are chasing, that we're looking for satisfaction from. Because Jesus wants to give us the satisfaction. John 10, 10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan, right? He's trying to sell you all these things you should chase after that are only going to end in uh, pain. But he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to have an abundant life. Again, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What? Now, what are you chasing after instead of Jesus? Let's look at uh, this list here again. Uh, what are you chasing? Are you chasing entertainment? Are you chasing success? Are you chasing sex? Are you chasing money? Are you chasing stuff? Is it dominating your thoughts, your conversations, your time, your money? I just want to take a moment and uh, just sit with you here. And just uh, go to God right now. And tell, him, uh, tell him what you've been thinking during this message. Maybe what he's been speaking to you about. Let's just take a moment.
my prayer for you as your pastor is that you would take these things and go throughout the week and really think about this deeply. In fact, if you take out your program at this time and if you rip off a communication slip and write down the names of the adults who are attending uh, today, if you're our guest, thank you so much for being with us. It's wonderful to have you. We hope you enjoy your time with us. Stop by our Welcome Center and pick up some brownies and a DVD of our vision here at Springbrook. Uh, but again, fill out as much information as you would like. But there's next steps under there. In fact, if we could jump to the next steps. Uh, so I'm going to send out, I'm sending out an email uh, of daily offices. Uh, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, but if you'd like to receive that email, if you received it this past week, don't worry, you're on the list. But if you'd like to receive that, you can circle that. Uh, other things you can do, I'll invite someone out to our new series. This is a great series for both believers and unbelievers. We're talking about that life is all about Christ, right? And number three, I'll have read my daily office uh, five times this week. Number four, I'll make a commitment to attend worship gatherings in January. Number five, I'll meditate and or seek to memorize Matthew 6.33. Number six, I'm interested in knowing more about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's go back um, to the first of cultivating a relationship uh, with Christ. I'm jumping back and forth here, so keep my multimedia guy challenged. <laughs> There's a couple things you can do in chasing Jesus. So, I mean, the question is, okay, Dan, you talked about chasing Jesus, but how do you do it? Well, there's all kinds of ways to chase Jesus. I just want to introduce two disciplines to you. First is your daily time with God, prayer and Bible intake. And we talked about the daily office. Uh, let's go to the daily office. And uh, this is uh, cultivating your relationship with Christ. We talked about this last week. Uh, just your time in prayer, Bible reading and reflection. And I encourage you, uh, if you don't have a regular pattern in your life, your first office should be 15 minutes a day at least or more. And then if you want, you can add a second office, a third office. The idea of regularly meeting with God, regularly meeting with God throughout the day in order to hear Him, in order to touch a base with Him so He's a part of your everyday life. We go back one uh, to the daily office again. And uh, you'll see some different websites uh, that you can go to. Uh, again, don't circle number three. We could change that for the next service. It should be circle one, I uh, but again, daily bread. What I've been doing this week is my first office, uh, I'm doing different things, but my second office, I read the daily bread and I pray. And then uh, todayintheword.com, that's a new one that I'm putting up there today, the Moody Bible Institute, they'll send you a daily email. That's a great, just take five minutes to read the, read the email and then you click and you read the scripture. Uh, Bible reading plan, uversion.com, I want to encourage you to read through the Bible in a year. God's leading you to do that this year and the one-year Bible online that time. So that's, that's a way to cultivate your relationship with Christ. Is make it a priority as you go throughout uh, your day. The second discipline we want to talk about is that of fellowship, of uh, being involved uh, in a small group, Christian fellowship. There are so many different benefits of being involved in a small group. We see them here. Uh, the first uh, benefit of being involved uh, in a small group, do we have that? Okay. Is Christ-centered relationship. Again, you can have relationships, but when you're part of a small group, uh, they're Christ-centered. You're talking about Christ as a part of your relationship, as a foundation of the relationship. Journeying together with Jesus. Uh, just experiencing life uh, with Jesus. Hearing about how other Christ followers are handling some of the same challenges that you have uh, in your life. A Bible learning, an application, support, uh, prayer and encouragement and care. That's our care system here at Springbrook, is that you're part of a small group. A crisis team, when you, you hit the wall on your life, uh, the small group is there for you to meet whatever needs you might have. Long-lasting relationships. Many people will say, you know, that the people they're closest to, they were involved in a small group maybe 10 years ago, but they had chemistry with this one person, and they continue to have that person as a spiritual friend. They all need spiritual friends. And, of course, great food. That always helps. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to ask Emily Phillips to come out at this time. And Emily uh, is one of our small group leaders. Our women's group also helps lead a small group with her husband, Scott. And 
Kelly, tell us um, uh, the benefits of a small group. I've been blessed to be able to be in lots of different small groups through the years. Um, as you said, we have a couple small groups that meets in our home. I have a lady small group that I lead. Um, and then I'm so blessed to kind of be on the cutting edge of working with teen girls. And we're trying to teach them what small groups are all about. Um, but the thing that I love most is, is really you come into church and maybe you're just a newcomer and you see familiar faces. But once you get into a small group, those familiar faces become lifelong friends. Um, and I would say that my closest friends are right here among the, the members here at Springbrook. And um, it's just it's such a journey to be able to have people that you meet with every week, um, that you have that accountability with, to know what's going on in your lives. We have such quick conversations. You know, how are you? We talk about the weather, little things. Um, but what's really going on? What's below the surface? Um, so many times I've sent out uh, maybe a quick text to group members saying, I'm in a parenting emergency. I can't get my kids to listen. Please pray for me. Um, people that, that you can really count on that are going to walk in the kind of in that gap of parenting um, with you, those are people that know you a little bit more than just the surface level. So. So friendship is obviously a huge piece, um, but I've got to say accountability takes me um, really to the next level when I'm with my small group members. Um, I'm getting ready to start a ladies' small group, and we're studying the book of Nehemiah. We've talked about that, and I will confess that that's not my first choice to dig into <laughs> Nehemiah going into the Old Testament, but God has really called me to that. Um, so it's taken me to kind of a deeper place, and to have other believers that come every week and are also going to hold me to that standard. You know, what lesson have you prepared? Do you have things here for us that we can learn from? And it causes me to, to really deepen my walk as well. Um, so I would never um, look back on any of the small group journeys that I've been on. We've moved to different places through the years, and, and that's really the church family to me, is uh, just the small group um, folks that I've met. And they, when you look at the Christmas card lists, and those people are the ones that continue to pop up, and those are the friends that... As I look back over raising our children, those are the ones that I've walked through life with, and I'm so blessed by that. So I would encourage anyone, um, don't be afraid. Don't, I think so many of us think, oh, we don't know enough. Oh, I'm not going to have the right answers. It's not about the answers. It's about the journey and having people to surround you. So I would encourage you to take the step today. Thanks so much, Emily. appreciate it. We're going to have uh, Pastor Rich come out. And Pastor Rich has been involved in small groups ever since he became Christ follower. So uh, tell us about how small groups have helped you to grow up. I became a believer in 1995, about 18 years ago. And uh, when I became a believer, I did not know a lot about the Bible. I didn't have a lot of Christian friends um, encouraging me in my walk. And so I joined a uh, men's group more out of curiosity, just uh, wanting to know a little bit more about the Bible and had some things going on in my life. And I'd hit some walls and knew I couldn't tackle them on my own. So I jumped into a men's group. Um, Praise God, almost immediately after becoming a believer. And, um, you know, for me, it was an important part of how I learned to start studying the Bible. It was an opportunity for me to meet some other friends, some guys that uh, can encourage me in my walk and in my faith. And I think, uh, you know, for me, you know, personally, I grew um, just in my knowledge of Scripture. And, and uh, I think as I matured and became more involved in small groups, it was an opportunity for me to think through how am I leading my family, how do I lead others. And so it was an opportunity to... Uh, invest in the lives of other men, and so I think that the more involved I got in small groups, the more um, I grew personally, both in my um, my own knowledge of scripture, as well as, you know, my ability to lead, you know, through my family, and then just to be an influence on the lives of others, and so it's been a blessing, and so uh, God went back for, you know, putting me into a small group right off the bat, right. so it's never something that I had to do extra, I just, you know, jumped that's right, right. into it, so. Well, that's what our desire is, that small groups are a lifestyle for all of us. Pastor Rich is uh, our associate, and he leads our small group ministry and does a wonderful job of it. He's a guy you want to ask if you have any small group questions. Rich, uh, for those people who are new to small groups, how can they investigate small groups? How can they get involved? Yeah, well, you know, I know it's, uh, for a lot of people it's difficult to get involved in a small group because it's just making the time back. So I think, you know, first thing is just to really pray about you know, making the time for it. Um, we've got uh, 25 groups meeting throughout our committee right now, and I think that um, you know, just kind of overcoming that barrier of making the time for it, and then, oh, man, what are they going to be doing? It's just normal people getting together to study the Bible, and it's really easy um, to get into a small group. I mean, the best way to get into a small group is if you're uh, 
good with the internet, you know, just go to our website, springbrook.org. You can click on that small group link, and uh, it's got a list of all of our groups there. You can click a, an email link to uh, email the leader. They'll answer any questions you have. Uh, you've got a purple insert on the inside of your program this morning, and if you want to take that out um, on the inside, and you can just give us your contact information, um, what day works best for you, what kind of group you're looking for. And so we'll be collecting those uh, in just a little bit. And so we're going to go through those next week. And, Somebody will give you a call. We'll send you a link to try and help you find a small group. And so, uh, you know, go to our website, fill out that purple sheet. And if you just still have questions and want to know more, um, I'll be at the small group table out in the lobby. There's a place for you just to sign up or you can uh, ask me any questions you have about getting a group. It's really easy to get into a group. So, uh, yeah. All right, brother. Yeah. Well, we'll see you, man. <laughs> All right. I really appreciate Rich and his leadership. And friends, I really implore uh, you to check out small group. And the first small group might not work. Uh, so you try another small group. There are no perfect uh, small groups. But I tell you, it's the best investment you can make in regards to Christian fellowship, of really having those Christ-centered relationships that God wants us to have. We could have our ushers come forward at this time to gather our gifts to the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for Ecclesiastes, this book that continues to bring us back to you as the true meaning, uh, true satisfaction in life. And I pray that you would speak to us as we go throughout this week and meditate upon your word.